Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio, wherever you can get podcasts. How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Stacking the Box. I am Matt Verderam, of course, alongside Josh Hill. And we are recording this on Sunday night during the Sunday night football game between the Pats and the Lions. Uh, But there is a lot of football to get to. And we say that every week because it's true. But this week, it's especially true. The Thursday night game gave us quite a storyline, if not more than one storyline. And, of course, the Sunday games gave us a very unfortunate injury. It gave us... Plenty of things to talk about in the way of upsets. So, Hill, I'll let you uh, take the floor here. What was the thing that surprised you the most, or what was the biggest takeaway for you uh, coming out of uh, week three? I think the biggest takeaway for me was we've now seen three games from these teams, aside from Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh, who we're going to see on Monday. But for everybody else, we've seen three games. So we have a lot of overreactions in week one. Oh, you know, this team's this, this team's that. And then week two, we kind of have the same thing. Now we've seen two versions of, of all these teams, and we're starting to kind of normalize our opinions. We're, there's still a ton of questions, like the Vikings getting absolutely blitzed at home by the Bills. That raises a lot of questions. But for some of these teams, like, the, like Washington was an example. Week one, they lay it on thick against the Cardinals. Week two, they drop one to the Colts. Now, this week, they come back and they beat Aaron Rodgers and the Packers at home. So now you're, tra- you're seeing that, okay, maybe they're more of that team that we saw against the Packers and the Cardinals than it was against the Colts. Same thing with the Colts. Kind of lay a dud week one against the Bengals, beat the Redskins week two, lay a dud again against the Eagles, but albeit it was a little bit more of a competitive battle. But our, our opinions are starting to normalize a little bit. So to me, that's my biggest takeaway is, unless, you, of course, you're the Raiders. Because they're just trash. Trash is trash. But for most of the rest of the league, we're starting to see kind of what these teams are going to be the rest of the way down the road road here. Yeah, you know, listen, my biggest takeaway from week three, and obviously, again, it's still evolving here. It's a Sunday and Monday night games to be concluded. But uh, I think Cleveland finally has some real hope. And that is honestly the first time since they've been a reincarnated franchise I can say that. When you look at the Browns, it has been a stream of Tim Couch and Kelly Holcomb and and, and Trent Dilfer, Brady Quinn, Johnny Manziel, whatever. We don't need to go any further. But for once, when Mayfield came onto the, the stage, he played like a guy who was a first-round pick. You know, they've had so many misses in the first round in the last 10 years. 
And for once, it looks like they finally have a guy. Now, look, it's one half of football. It's against the Jets. They didn't game plan for him. There's a million different caveats you could throw out there. But just the eye test, just watching him play, he looks fantastic. He led the Browns to their first win since Christmas Eve of 2016. So for me, that was my biggest takeaway, along with something we'll get into a little bit more, which is the NFL rule book. Yeah. Uh, in some instances, just needs a complete overhaul. I don't know how we can continue on with the way the rules are without as, as either a fan or an analyst or, or, or a player uh, demanding some change. Because we're at a point where certain players, and again, we'll get into this a little bit more, just cannot play football. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know where we went from point A to point Z so quickly, but it's gotten to a point where, yeah, it, it's a problem uh, because it's costing teams games. Yeah, and that kind of that brings us to our uh, segment that we haven't done for the first couple of weeks. But we did a little bit last year. It's what's the story, Vernon Ramble. We're going to try to figure out. We're going to be soothsayers because we're NFL experts. That's what they pay us for. And that's what we say we are. So we'll see. But uh, what's the story? Let's kind of go around here and predict the future a little bit. And we'll start there. What's the story with this NFL rule thing? Like Clay Matthews, three straight weeks. He gets flagged for personal foul, roughing the passer. First week, all right, fair enough. I mean, he comes up, kind of hits Trubisky a little bit. It was a penalty. That was a penalty. But the Kirk Cousins ones was not a penalty. And this one against Alex Smith was absolutely not a penalty. Because he was, he adjusted. You look at the the Cousins tackle and then the one on on Alex Smith. He adjusts his approach. He adjusts how he's tackling and how he's taking this player down. Still gets a flag. And, you know, I'm not a Mike McCarthy fan, but when he blew his top on the sideline with the officials... I was all for it. So what's the story with this? Like, this is, this is starting to affect games. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner. Really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. It ended, It resulted in a tie last week with the Vikings and the Packers. And this week you could argue it extended a Redskins drive where the Packers maybe could have captured some momentum. So what, what was going on with this? Yeah, look, it's, it's ridiculous. I don't understand this nonsense about that a defensive player can't land with all or most of his weight on a quarterback. He's tackling the damn guy. What is he supposed to do? Hold his hand and skip off the sidelines? I I don't understand what the NFL wants from these guys. At some point, and I believe we even said this last week on the podcast, the NFL has to realize and accept and embrace that there is violence in football. Mm-hmm. And there is always going to be violence in football. I don't care how much they try to legislate it out, what things they want to try to put into the rule book. Excuse me. They are never, ever going to legislate violence out again. They're going to try. They've proven that. But at some point, football's a game of you've got to bring your opponent down to the turf. And sometimes you might be able to do that in a pretty easy way where nobody's going to get hurt. And sometimes, you know what? You beat a 320-pound tackle, and that quarterback's cocking his arm, and you've just got to hit him. And you've got to hit him full force. And as far as I'm concerned, look, I have no problem with the helmet-to-helmet stuff. But after that, you, you do reach a juncture here where, come on now. I mean, he's playing football. I really think we're about to the point now where in 10 years, it's going to be like, hey, you know, he's got a flag on. And the only way you're allowed to touch quarterback is to take his flag off him. 
Yeah. Because I, I mean, I get they want to keep these guys upright. I know how important they are to the to the game. If you watch a game with backup quarterbacks, it's not pretty. But at some point, hey, come on, it's still a football game, and and the Packers have been jobbed. Who knows if they win against Washington? They would have won against Minnesota. Oh yeah. And instead of being two and one, it just should be they're one one and one, and that that could be the difference down the line. We shall see. Yeah, it's it's a ridiculous rule, and it's like the catch rule. Okay, this is going to it's already affecting the Packers season, and it's going to affect a bigger game down the road somewhere. A la the the Jesse James catch last year with the Patriots and the Steelers. It's going to affect the game. We're going to see it in the playoffs. God forbid we see it in the Super Bowl. Like that that to me is where things start to change. When you get teams that are their seasons are literally on the line. It's early enough in the season that we can say, all right, fair enough. The Packers really don't make the playoffs because of a couple of calls. It's alarming, but it's not it's not like this is week sixteen and they just lost the division. They still have a chance to come back. This is gonna this isn't going anywhere. And what troubles me is, and they've talked about it all over the place, they get these rules analysts on, they get Dean Blandino on there and everybody saying, well, you know, it's a dumb rule, but this is just the way it's being interpreted. That's scary to me. Like, they're, they're openly admitting that this rule should not be what it is, but they're like, hey, it, you know, tough cookies, this is just the way it is in the rule books. They're going to have to learn to tackle differently. And I just don't understand how that's constructed the game. It, 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 to me, this makes the game less interesting. I'm less invested in the game when I know, you know, my team's going to get down to the final drive of the game and it could all come crumbling down because the referee interprets the rule in a wrong way. And that, that to me, is something that's not going away. That and the fact that we have to have rules analysts on a broadcast yeah. tells you all you need to I mean, seriously, you don't see yeah. – we watch a hockey game. You don't see a rules analyst. Mm-hmm. Like, it's icing. It's offsides. It's a goal. Like, it's not that hard to figure out. And there were rules analysts on NFL broadcast 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's it's telling me something. This is crazy. This cannot be this hard to legislate a football game. And, you know, I give the NFL credit in one sense. Early in the preseason, when they were calling all these calls with leading with the helmet and people were going crazy, they have very quietly completely taken that out. Yeah. How many calls have you seen like that this year? Literally. Yeah. I, I have not seen one in any game I've watched. The NFL has to figure out a way to just quietly say, you know what, we're not calling these plays where it's, if you mm-hmm. land on a guy. It's just, now, look, you pile drive them into the grounds or something, and you, you can help not to do that. That's fine. Sure. But if you hit a guy square and you hit him hard enough, he goes off his feet, well, block better. Yeah. I, I mean, seriously, I don't know what else you could ask for a guy. But I think the NFL has got to get a handle on this because it's bad enough now. But like, you said, this ever happens in a playoff game? Oof. Like, this cost a team a season because mm-hmm. your linebacker landed on a guy? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you right now, that happens to the Chiefs. We're going to have a three-part episode <laughs> stacked in the box. And, I, and I'm just going after people one by one. Uh, it, it's, it's not fair. It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. It is. Uh, that brings us to another what's the story here. A quarterback who got hit, but it wasn't an illegal hit. But Jimmy Garoppolo leaves the Chiefs game uh, with about maybe two or three minutes left to go in that game. It looks initially like maybe it was a concussion, but it turns out that his knee buckled and he apparently has, we don't know if it's not confirmed at this time, but it might be by the time you're listening to this on your morning commute, a torn ACL and MCL, which is, ends his season. It means it's the C.J. Beathard show the rest of the way. So what's the story with the 49ers here on out? There was a lot invested in this first year of Jimmy Garoppolo, first full season of him and Shanahan's system. We only saw, we saw an abridged version last year. He comes in late, you get the lore of Jimmy G, gets a huge contract off of it, which is another caveat to this. 
he's it. They're, they're in with the money on this, and they're not going to get him for the rest of the season. What's the story with the 49ers? Because it's not even the end of September, and this seems like the end of their season. It is the end of their season. If Garoppolo's hurt, which it appears he is, um, it's over. C.J. Beathard is not winning nine, ten games. Okay, <laughs> C.J. Beathard's probably not winning six games. They were one in ten without Garoppolo last year. Mm. And you look at that roster. How much different is it than last year? It's not that much different. It's pretty much the same roster. So, do I think they'll go one in whatever to finish the year one in twelve? No, I don't think that. But do I think they're like a five-win team? Probably. And I think for I think this it means a few things. The Niners are done, and they're probably headed for a top ten pick, yeah. which maybe long term isn't the worst thing on earth. The Rams, you can just print the banner now. That yeah. division's over. Uh-huh. Um, and and look, as far as Garoppolo, it's just a shame because he is a good young player. I really was looking forward to seeing how he would, you know, marriage marry his skills with Kyle Shanahan's offense. And now that's out the window. Yeah, And, I, you know, I, I think Shanahan's got all the job security in the world in San Francisco. I don't think he's going anywhere. But that's a killer. Like, that's a year off both of their careers where it's just he's gone. And you're not developing. I think if you're the Niners now, you focus on developing the young talent you have there on defense. You try to build that unit into a very good one so that next year when he's back, maybe you add a piece or two in free agency and you feel pretty good about the Niners. But no, no way around it this year. It's a brutal blow for a team that had expectations. Yeah, and to your point, there, there's a blessing in disguise here. I mean, it's brutal to lose your franchise player. And it's, there's, it's never a good thing to have somebody like Jimmy Garoppolo tear his ACL and he's done for the season. So it goes without saying that this is, an, oh, this is overtly a negative thing. But trying to find the silver lining, it's kind of like what you said. This team, I think, because Jimmy came in late last year and was so good in such a short period of time that we kind of got glossy-eyed about what this team is. And it's not a good team. Like, even with him in this year, it hasn't been good. They lose to the Vikings, okay? They barely beat the Lions, and now they lose to the Chiefs, which we kind of all expected to happen. But there are holes all over this roster on the offensive line, defensively in the secondary. Are his weapons really as, as powerful as we want? They're on their third-string running back at times with Alfred Morris because they're missing McKinnon, and, and Breda suffered an injury and was in and out for the rest of that game. This is a, an opportunity to address the needs elsewhere in the roster. Figure out what this team is and then reinsert Garoppolo in. You know he's the franchise. You know he's the future. You don't need to figure out and tinker and test with the quarterback position. You have him. You've invested over $100 million in him. Now figure out everything else. So when he does come back next year from this ACL injury, you have a more complete team. There's this idea that it's a lost year. Last year was a lost year because they had no direction, didn't know where they were going. They got lucky with Garoppolo coming over. Now figure it out. Get kind of the future set and use it as a blessing in disguise. And like you said, top five, top ten pick, that's great long term. Get one of these big offensive linemen coming out of college. Maybe you get, you know, in some of these mock drafts, Nick Bosa's slipping down. Maybe you get a nice edge rusher. This, this doesn't have to be a negative thing for the 49ers. It sucks. It's terrible. But let's be honest. They weren't winning the Super Bowl this year anyways. Now we can kind of expose this, the, the flaws in this team more so than when we would have with the, the, the rosy-tinted eyes of Jimmy Garoppolo kind of fixing everything. So, Yeah, no, I listen, I, uh, I agree to an extent. I think obviously they would have loved to have him for the year, no yeah, yeah. questions that. But, yeah, there is certainly an element of, look, if they were going to go 8-8 eight and eight with him, uh, maybe it's not the worst thing to have a – Picked it's eight spots higher, mm-hmm. 
But there's no way around it. Yeah, I mean, losing him is a season ender. Oh, yeah. It's a crushing blow for a team that some people thought would make the playoffs. I was not one of those people. I thought they'd be about 500. Uh, but, it, yeah, it hurts. It hurts bad. And it's it's too bad because he was starting to play better. He I, I didn't think he played well the first couple weeks of the year when I watched the film. But he played well against Kansas City. Um, you know, although that defense certainly helps that cause. <laughs> and uh, – he goes down on a non-contact injury. He got hurt for Nelson Hill. Yeah, it, it was rough. Uh, like- Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Last one here before we get into the picks for Graham. What's the story with the AFC's upper echelon of power? We've got on one hand, in one corner, we've got the Jaguars, who last week were the darlings of football because Blake Bortles was competent for one game and was able to beat the Patriots this week, comes crashing back to earth. And then in the other corner, we have the Kansas City Chiefs, who have probably the most exciting offense in football. And unless something goes wrong, a surefire candidate for MVP in Patrick Mahomes. But a defense that leaves, as you were just describing, a lot to be desired. So who do you feel is the power to be overthrown here in the AFC? Because right now, it doesn't seem to be anybody. It's not really the Patriots. It's not definitely not the Steelers. If it comes down to an AFC Championship game, somehow is Jaguars and the Chiefs. Who goes to the Super Bowl to represent the well, AFC? I think, I think, first of all, i got a little bit of an idea. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think, first of all, until New England is beaten in January, they to me are always the favorite in the AFC. Yeah. They just, they've earned that right. Now, we had this conversation in the office on Sunday here at Fanside, and so we decided to make it a topic here as well. We're actually getting really deep into it for the first time here. But if, if you're asking me if I think Jacksonville or Kansas City, which one is the bigger contender, um, I would take Kansas City for one reason. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. In 2018 NFL, the quarterback just means the most. He does. That's why they paid the most, why they paid outrageous amounts of money comparatively to other players in the league. I think Jacksonville has a great defense. I think most people feel like they have a great defense because they do. But today's games, and of course we'll get into all these teams in a minute here. Today's games are a perfect example, though, of why I feel that way. Jacksonville's defense gave up nine points to Tennessee. It was in Jacksonville as a home game. Tennessee could not do anything offensively. Couldn't get a touchdown, all the rest of it. Jacksonville still lost because Bortles goes 21-34 for a buck 55, 4.6 yards in attempt. You're not winning with that. Like, And look, I get it. People say, well, they went to the AC title game last year. Yeah, well, he threw for 87 yards in the worst wildcard game anybody's ever seen. Yeah. And they beat the Steelers, and I give them a lot of credit for that. But that's going to be much more the exception rather than the rule when you play with him at quarterback. Kansas City, on the flip side, is one of the worst defenses I've ever seen. They cannot stop anybody. They cannot stop a run. They cannot stop the pass. They, they get some pressure. I'll give them that. That's the one thing they can do with Houston and Ford, yeah. although Ford now has an MRI coming out on, his, on a strained groin. But, you know, I guess there's a part of me that says I'd like to see the defense with Eric Berry 
yeah. and see how much I don't think that fixes everything, but how much of a difference does it make? But if I would feel that like if, if the Chiefs get into the playoffs, which I'm assuming they will, and they're healthy offensively, they can hang 45 on just about anybody. And as bad as their defense is, that is exceedingly hard to do. Yeah. It is gonna be very you're gonna have to score 35 plus to beat the Chiefs in most games. We saw it today with the Niners. Mm-hmm. The Niners played very well offensively. They scored 27 points in that game, and they lost by 11. And at one point, we're down 35 to 10 at halftime. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just... The Niners didn't play bad offensively at any point in that game, and it made no difference because the Chiefs were just up and down. The field. It feels like every time they need a first down, they need a big play, it's just easy. And it's not always going to be. There's going to be a few weeks where you know some team, and maybe Jacksonville here in two weeks when they play each other, comes up with a great game plan and stops them. But boy, oh boy, you better be able to score some points. And with Jacksonville's defense, as great as it is, if they don't score, as we saw today, like you might score 10 points and win the game. Yeah. And that's why I take Kansas City. But right now, I think along with New England, they're the only three teams in the AFC that I look at and think could go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, look, and I agree with your point completely. We saw the argument play out last year of can Blake Bortles lead this team to a Super Bowl? And the answer was no. And I don't want to take anything away from the defense, and I definitely don't want to say like he played terrible in the, in the postseason, but that is a massive asterisk there that says they almost lost to the Bills and Tyrod Taylor in that wild card game. And we're having a completely different conversation right now. So the, the, the Chiefs' defense scares me a lot. I want to see what Eric Berry looks like when he gets back in there because he is a leader on that defense, and they don't have that right now. And he's going to shore up the middle of that secondary too, which is something else that we don't we, keep, we don't really see right now. So I, the jury's still out for me on the Chiefs' defense. Offensively, I have a hard time not believing that this is probably the most exciting offense that we've seen in the last ten years. I mean, going back to the Patriots that year with Moss and Brady, and then back, yeah. yeah, and then back to the greatest show on turf with the Rams, Kurt Warner that year, and then the Vikings in '98 with Randy Moss and Chris Carter. This is just an outstandingly talented offense. And it is just, from a football fan's perspective, incredibly fun to watch. Because Patrick Mahomes is going to go out there and do things like he did today, where he's going to run around for 15 seconds, get away from the defense, make everybody look silly, and then throw a touchdown pass. That's incredible. From a football fan standpoint, I love to see that. We, I mean, on one hand, we're having a conversation about how the game is, is taking a downturn because we can't figure out what a sack is and Clay Matthews getting flagged and all this stuff. And on the other hand, you've got Patrick Mahomes, who is really injecting a lot of excitement into this game. And I want to see that go as far as it can. And I think it's a great tragedy that something like that can be anchored by something as easily fixed as Bob Sutton's defense. It's, it's not difficult. Eric Berry comes back, maybe trade for, for Earl Thomas. Fix it. Like, that's the job. It's incredible to me that this offense can be so good, and it might not make it out of the divisional round because of this defense. I'll tell you right now, if they didn't trade Marcus Peters, I would unequivocally pick them to win the oh, Super Bowl. Easy. Easily. We'd pick them to win the Super Bowl. Because they are so good offensively. It, I'm not kidding. When I, like this is, probably sounds ridiculous, but I'm dead serious. If they get three stops a game by that defense, they're going to win most of their games. Mm-hmm. Because the offense is just obscene. The offense is so talented. And Mahomes, like, you know what? Everybody gets into what he's on pace for, and I, I get it. Look, he's been ridiculous. He's on pace for, like, 4,600 yards and 70 touchdowns yeah. or whatever. That's not going to happen. But he realistically might go for, like, 4,500 yards, 40 touchdowns, 10 – I mean, 
He really might be the MVP of the league. Like now, now look, it's it's so early, and we're in September, and yeah. I don't want to put the cart before the horse. But I'm just saying, like, he's is that good, and they have the talent around him. That if he stays healthy, and that offense stays healthy, yeah, and they they could do some pretty wild things uh, in Kansas City. That being said, let's get to the games. Let's, let's get to it. the games because we're already 22 minutes into this thing, and I don't want people having to listen to it over three commutes. <laughs> Um, okay, so Thursday night is actually a really interesting game. Yeah. The Vikings are at the Rams. The Rams are using Westgate here for the lines this week. Usually we use Odd Shark, but they didn't have the lines up yet. Sorry, Odd Shark. Uh, Rams are favored by a touchdown in this game at home. Pretty big line. Everybody thought that Minnesota would be maybe the team to beat in the NFC. They went out and got Kirk Cousins. Well, they're sitting at 1-1-1 one, one, one after what was easily the shocker of the week. 17-point favorite over Buffalo, and Buffalo just went into Minnesota and waxed them. That game was a bludgeoning from start to finish, 27-6. The Rams still 3-0, one of the four undefeated teams remaining, including your Bucks, my Chiefs, and the Dolphins. Rams minus seven. Where do you stand on the game? It's, it's really hard to bet against the Rams at this point just because they've been quietly the best team in the NFC. And I think it's it's a product of these late starts. People aren't paying as close attention as they would be if they were in the noon slot. But the Rams have been phenomenal on offense these first couple of years. I mean, they went for over 500 yards against the Chargers today. And that's incredible. They waxed the Cardinals a week before, and then they did what they did on Monday night against the Raiders to start the season, and then everything that they did last year. One thing I was really nervous about with the Rams was would they be able to port over what they did last year and continue the success this year. It was such a meteoric rise for Sean McVay and Jared Goff and Todd Gurley had a fantastic season. The defense was really good and it got better in the offseason. I was really nervous if this was all going to come together as good as it did on paper and so far it has. They look to be like an unstoppable team. Meanwhile, the Vikings, it's the opposite effect. They looked on paper like, all right, this is finally the team that's going to get this together. They finally have their quarterback, something they've never had. Like, all their good seeds. They go to that championship game in 2009, Brett Favre's a quarterback at the end of his career. In 98, Randall Cunningham, end of his career. Dante Culpepper was the only guy that they ever really had who was worth his salt. And he wasn't even that good. They went 41-0 to the Giants. So now the, the hope is that Kirk Cousins is going to be able to come in here. The defense is going to be able to hold its own and they get blitzed at home by the Bills. That's concerning to me. Okay, I don't want to put too much stock in this because it is week three. It's still September. The rosters are still settling. But this is an alarming loss. Because it wasn't like the Bills got lucky and they won on a... They murdered the Vikings in Minnesota. The game was 17 to nothing before the smoke from the pregame ceremonies even cleared. And it was over from there. The Vikings were never once in this game. Cousins never once put together a drive where you're like, okay, he's going to settle in. They're going to figure this out. They'll be fine. They were roasted from the start. And you cannot play that way against the Rams. I don't think that they will. I'm still taking Los Angeles because I think they're the best team in the NFC. But the Vikings, this went from a game where it's like, oh, okay, this might be a fun, interesting game, to a game where the Vikings need to show us that this week was a mistake and that they are not that team. Because if they struggle again, Sharks are going to start circling in Minnesota. Those fans are not ready for this to be a losing season. Uh, I'm going to take the Vikings to cover, but I'm going to take the Rams to win. Like, I think the Rams are a really good team. They might be without Tlaib and Peters, though. Uh, Tlaib hurt his ankle. Peters hurt his calf. Uh, they're having MRIs done, so we don't know the extent of it yet. 
Peters had to be helped off the field yeah. by Carr. I thought he tore his Achilles tendon, but they're saying that those are negative those uh, results. That's great. good news to hear on that. I'm taking the Rams for a few reasons. One, I think they're the better team. I think they're the best team in football. They're at home in a short week. Now, the only caveat to this is Minnesota played so bad. Boy, are they going to have a bad couple of days up there with, with Zimmer. Oh, yeah. That is going to be oh, yeah. the most uncomfortable couple of days on the face of the earth. And they're very lucky they're not one and two. We already talked about the Clay Matthews thing. They were the beneficiaries of the week two mm-hmm. call. They would have lost that game. They ended up winning it, or tying it rather, excuse me. Should have won it. Their kicker couldn't make a, uh, a kick to save his life. But the Rams, to me, are the best team. It's Thursday night. I think the home team always has an inherent advantage. Minnesota's got to go, not cross-country, but all the way out to the West Coast. It's a tough spot. It's a tough spot. The Rams have an incredibly complex offense. The Vikings are not going to have all those tendencies down in a couple of days on film. So give me the Rams. Uh, I do think the Vikings cover. I think it's a good game. But I think the Rams win, even though they're banged up. Sunday slate, start off in the AFC East. The Dolphins are at New England. Now, again, this New England game is being played right now. As we speak, it's going to the fourth quarter, New England down 20-10, to 10, uh, and looking like garbage for the most part in this game. It's yeah. been a very strange affair. I don't think anybody saw this outcome headed – well, not outcome, but this, this game headed toward this outcome. So into the fourth quarter. The line, which will certainly change here if New England loses, I'm sure at least by a couple of points, but it's 9.5 at the moment. Uh, I'll kick off here – New England's not playing well for the second straight week. And they, they were kind of a whole hum performance in week one against the Texans, who the Texans now, who we all thought were good. Well, they're not good. They stink, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll get into later, of course, when we touch on their game. The, the Pats at some juncture here are going to get this thing rolling. They're just simply they're, – they're too much of almost a mythical being with Brady and Belichick and they have Gronk. But I will tell you this right now. Their defense stinks. They are not shutting people down with this group. They are slow. Watching this game, the Lions are not the fastest team in the world, sideline to sideline. they got some speedy receivers, but the backs are more power than they are speed. Every time they have swung one of these guys out to the outside, New England just can't tackle. They can't get there. They're slow in their angles. And to me, in the AFC, they play the Chiefs, which they will in a few weeks, but they seem down the road with guys like Hill and Watkins. They're going to get 50 points. Now, they know. They may score 50 points against the Chiefs, but they're going to give it up. New England, I am going to take them to win the game, despite all I just said, because of one reason. I can't imagine them. It's hard to picture them losing two in a row. Mm-hmm. Losing three in a row seems borderline impossible. Yeah. And unbelievably, because of Miami, if they lose to Miami, if they lose tonight and they lose to Miami, they'd be three games behind them. I, I can't imagine that being the case. No. Uh, I am going to take New England to win. I'm going to take Miami to cover that spread. But I, because I think Miami, to be fair, has actually shown something. Now, look, they've played three teams. I don't think anybody's right in Hall about the Titans look, look terribly as another 2-1. Mm-hmm. The Raiders stink. The Jets stink. But 3-0 3-0. I think it's a tougher game in Foxborough than people realize. I think the Dolphins can do some things. They have a lot of speed on that offense. But ultimately, I think Brady carves up the defense, and they find a way to win at Foxborough. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking New England in this one. Uh, the Dolphins are a very soft 3-0. So yeah. let's... I don't want to put. I don't want to take too much away from it because it is three and zero, and it is what it is. That's three games that you know they're gonna have at the end of the season. But at the same time, the Raiders, the Jets, you know, <laughs> the, the Titans in that weird game that was like eight thousand hours long. Give me, give me the Patriots in this one. Although I, I do agree with you that 
while Brady will probably win this game for New England, it's the, the speed on the Dolphins' offense is going to continue to expose how slow and old this Patriots' defense is. And unless they fix that, and unless Belichick gets something going with that, we're going to have issues in the, in the playoff. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. When they run up against these teams again, maybe not uh, Miami, but if they go up against Jacksonville, or if they go up against the Chiefs, they're going to have some issues because this defense looks very bad right now. If I'm, if I'm a Patriots fan, I know it's just September, and we all love to slam the alarm button and the panic button in September when the Patriots lose. At some, like you said, at some point, we're all going to be right. You know, At some point, they're not going to fix this. We're not going to correct this, and it's, it's all going to come tumbling down. If Gronkowski at any point this year misses significant time, they're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Because their offense is like their roster. Quite honestly, is not good. Josh Gordon is not saving this offense. No, he's not. He is not Randy Moss. I hate this this comparison. Good lord, he is not Randy Moss. Yeah. Stop it. I've heard Chris Collinsworth say it about five times. Well, you know, he could be there, Randy. And I love Chris Collinsworth. I have all the respect in the world for him. But come on now, everybody said it. Come on, Collinsworth now. said it. But like, this is the sentiment. No, you're like, right. Good lord. There's been. I mean, just enough. Josh Gordon has done anything in half a decade. Okay, moving on. Speaking of teams that haven't done anything in half a decade, Houston at Indianapolis. This game is a pick. Uh, I'll tell you right now, I'm taking the Colts big time in this game. I never thought I'd say that this year. The Texans are garbage. The coaching is terrible. Something you and I have talked about for a year and a half on this podcast, basically since it's begun. I have no faith in O'Brien. Watson has been good at times, not good at others. He's thrown three picks in the end zone this year. Uh, the offensive line is terrible. I, I don't buy them. And look, quite honestly, the Colts have played well. I, got, I have to be fair to the Colts. They, they hung in there in a very tough game against Cincinnati. They lost, but they played hard. They beat the Redskins, gave them their only loss in three weeks. That was in Washington. And they were within a couple of minutes of beating Philadelphia and Philadelphia. Like the Colts have played hard this year. Okay, and Darius Leonard is a rookie linebacker out of South Carolina State, second round pick. That kid can play. That kid is a really good piece for the Colts. Chris Ballard did a nice job hitting on him. So, look, that defense isn't good, but Leonard is a nice shining bright spot there alongside Malik Hooker, the safety they picked in the first round out of Ohio State last year. I'm thinking the Colts to win this game. The Texans have shown me nothing. I'm sorry. You can't beat the Giants at home. Why am I picking you against the Colts? Why am I picking you against anybody away from home? So, I'm taking the Colts, and I'm wondering how hot that seat is for Bill O'Brien. It can't be cool, let's put it that way. It is increasingly getting warmer. Um, but that should be nothing new because it's, it's been like that for a year. I'm going to take the Colts on this one because it kind of goes back to my theory of we've, we've seen three games from these teams, and we're kind of figuring out who they are. And to be fair, this is kind of contradictory, but the Colts have been cold, hot, cold. I want to see what they do here. They're at least showing that they have some 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 spark in them. We've seen three games from the Texans, and it's been the same thing all three weeks. Not even like, you know, oh, they did this well. It's been just garbage three straight weeks. There's been no asterisks. Like, they lost to the Patriots. They should have won because the Patriots' defense is terrible. We've seen that for the next couple of weeks. Even this week against the Giants, okay? The Giants, 
not very good the first couple of weeks. They get waxed when we're doing this podcast last Sunday night. We're talking about, oh, God, nothing's changed. Here we go. Need a new quarterback. Eli Manning had a great day. Saquon Barkley got it going again. The, the biggest thing with this Texans team was Watts coming back. Merciless is coming back. They've got Honey Badger. The defense is going to be a saving grace. And Deshaun Watson is going to be the guy that he was before the ACL injury. And shame on all of us for, for forgetting that what usually ha- what we think is going to happen almost never does happen. J.J. Watt, while he had a good game, has been mostly a ghost because we haven't heard anything about him. Whitley Merciless, I forgot he plays for the Texans. Honey Badger, it's like, where has he been? And then Deshaun Watson, to his credit, is playing behind basically road cones. There's no offensive yeah. line in Houston. And that's, A, bad anyways because you want your quarterback protected. And B, doubly bad for a quarterback coming off of an ACL injury and his second ACL injury of his career. So you're not protecting that guy and you're expecting him to be completely focused on downfield action? I'm sorry. At some point, it's not a commentary so much on Deshaun Watson that it is the entire team has just been trashed the first three weeks. Nothing about them has said, you know, if they're going to figure out against the Colts. No. Yeah, no, and look, Watt was really good on Sunday. He had three sacks. He finally showed up. Not say it, you know, finally, but he, he hasn't really produced the last couple of yeah. years. He's been hurt uh, and effective in the few games he has played. And to me, okay, I'm fine. I get it with, with Houston and New England week one. I, I will say, it, even though New England's got its issues, like that's a tough place to play and fine and fair enough. You lost to Blaine Gabbert week two. And then at home, get your doors blown off by the Giants. I mean, just enough. You know what? The, the Texans aren't a great team, but they got more than enough talent to be winning some football games. This is inexcusable. And to me, it's, a, it's just a complete failure in coaching. Mm-hmm. Next game, interesting game. Bengals are at Falcons. Falcons are favored by five and a half points. Of course, they come off of a crazy loss where Matt Ryan throws five touchdowns. It was well over 300 yards. But they lose to the Saints, and the, uh, apparently uh, Drew Brees, who's turned into Cam Newton, running around at a couple of uh, rushing touchdowns in the game. They lost 43-37 in overtime to a New Orleans. They dropped to one and two. The Bengals lost their first game of the year, lost to the Panthers in Carolina. So they will go back down south for a second straight week to take on an NFC opponent. And hell, I'll let you kick this off. Bengals at the Falcons, five and a half points for Atlanta. This is the first game I've kind of gone over where I'm like, I could go either way, but not because I'm terribly excited about either of the two teams. Atlanta has been really unfortunate this year because, again, this is a team we thought was going to be a lot better on paper. We assumed that Steve Sarkeesian was going to figure out the problems he had last year. And as we saw when we were watching that first Thursday night game against the Eagles, it was abundantly clear that he's figured out nothing and spent basically no time on trying to fix the red zone offense. Uh, the, the, the Saints aren't as good defensively as I was expecting, but you have to win that game, okay? Julio Jones didn't do a whole lot. Calvin Ridley decided to announce himself today and get three touchdowns. He goes well over 100 yards receiving. You have another weapon, something that Julio Jones has been missing arguably since Roddy White was around. Like Taylor Gabriel was all right, but whatever. Mohamed Sanu, he doesn't really let anybody on fire. Calvin Johnson, or uh, Calvin Ridley, Calvin Johnson, Calvin Ridley is a bona fide sidekick to Julio Jones. A lot of people in Atlanta think it's a successor. You don't lose games like that if you are Matt Ryan and the Falcons. What is going on? You go to overtime at home and you don't even get the ball. Okay? That is embarrassing. I'm going to take Atlanta just because it is again at home. 
and they have been kind of an ebb and flow type of team. Bad the first week, win the second week, bad again the third week. And the Bengals, I think, at some point are going to regress to the mean, which we kind of saw start against the Panthers. Give me Atlanta in this game, but I'm not taking it with any sort of confidence whatsoever. I'm taking Atlanta. We have a little bit of a different take on them. I, I think Sarkeesian was terrible week one, but the last couple of weeks, their offense hasn't been the problem. They scored a lot of points. The, the, problem, the problem has been their defense is hurt, mm-hmm. and they can't stop anybody. The Panthers hung 24 on them. I'm joking, not, not a huge deal. They won the game. They, you know, they were always leading, so you're going to play a little softer. They get 43 points. New Orleans couldn't stop them. You know, it's funny. No team since 1940, and uh, Scott Kazmier of Football Outsiders Post, I just want to give him credit. No team since 1940 had ever scored 37 points at home, not turned the ball over and lost. Yeah. It's happening back-to-back weeks. Steelers did it week two. The Falcons did it today. Uh, look, I know they're missing Deion Jones and Keanu Neal, and that's a lot to be missing. Ricardo Allen, we'll see what his injury is, but he left hurt. That's a lot. That's a lot. There's no questioning that. But at some point, you've you got to get it off the field. Yeah. Make, I mean, they still have other guys in that defense now. It's not like they have nobody here. I mean, Trufant and Alford are two of the best corners in the game. They can't get off the field once. Uh, I'm taking Atlanta, though, and here's why. I have no faith in, in Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton. I've probably said that 8,000 times. I've probably said another 8,000 times. I don't trust them against good teams. I don't trust them on the road. I think the defense is good, although Carolina ran all over them with a banged-up offensive line. McCaffrey went for over 180 rushing yards uh, in their 31-21 win. I like Cincinnati as a team that could win the North, but I think it's going to be based off of winning a lot of games at home and beating up on teams they should beat up on. Because I don't think they have the personnel to go out and beat the upper echelon in the NFL. And I still put Atlanta in that group, even though they're one and two. So give me the Falcons. Uh, I'll, I'll swallow the five and a half points. I think they're going to win outright, and I think they're going to cover. Uh, I think they have to win this game to get to two and two and stay relevant in the NFC South. Meanwhile, I think the Bengals, two and two, they'll go home. They'll figure it out. Um, also, it should be said, and I'll leave it at this for this game. Dalton, four picks against Carolina. And two of those were throws to John Ross. So John Ross just basically decided he just wasn't going to initiate contact and let the guy pick it off. So John Ross, the cornerback? Yeah, yeah who's, <laughs> you know, they almost turned into a corner. So we'll leave it at that. But I, I'm taking Atlanta. Look, I think the Bengals are a good team, but I don't think they're a really good team. I don't think they're a very good team. I think they're probably like 9-7, and seven, which in the North might be good enough to win. Uh, the next game... Another interconference game, the Bills at the Packers. The Packers are favored by 10.5 points. Of course, a week ago we laughed and we said, my God, Minnesota's a 17-point favorite. How could they ever lose? We both picked them not only to win but to cover. And then Minnesota went out there and uh, did some unspeakable things in front of their home fan base. (laughs) The kids are going to be in therapy tomorrow as well they should be. And, of course, as Chris Berman used to say on NFL primetime, nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. And so here we are. 1-2 1-2 one Buffalo, 1-1-1 one, one, and one Green Bay. Green Bay, of course, has Aaron Rodgers on half of a leg at this point. Uh, Hill, the Bills, a 10.5-point underdog, probably get LaShawn McCoy back next week. Can they somehow go to Green Bay and win the game? I apologize to Bills Mafia because you guys enjoy this week. Because, by God, nobody picked this game in Minnesota. And more power to the Josh Allen defenders out there, of which I know you are not. I am not. (laughs) But, and and to be fair, he didn't play particularly well. It wasn't like he was Joe Namath out there. He still turned in mediocre stats at that. But they won. They went in. They beat the Vikings. Fair enough. They're not going to beat the Packers next week. Okay. And I know we said all of these things about the Packers this week going into their game against Washington, in which they lost. 
But Aaron Rodgers – okay, I guess I'll preface this on this. If Aaron Rodgers is more healthy than he was this week, give me the Packers outright. If he is even hobbled or injured or not himself, give me the Packers with a slight edge. But either way, give me the Packers, all right? <laughs> There's no way that the Bills are going to go on the road to Lambeau and win two road games against the NFC North. And if they do, color me shocked because this is a team – it will be probably one of the most uh, substantial turnarounds – from a team, from what we saw from weeks one and two to what we saw in weeks three and four. Because the Bills were a joke. They were a laughing stock week one against the Ravens, and then even against the Chargers. They weren't anything particularly special. But if they beat the Vikings and then they follow that up by beating the Packers, I will eat all of my words and I will apologize to Bills Mafia to my dying day. But it's not going to happen. Because the Packers are not going to lose two and a half, I guess you could say, games in a row. That's not, it's just not going to happen. And it's not going to happen at home. I just don't see it. Yeah, listen, I give the Bills all the credit in the world for beating Minnesota. Okay, all the credit. You can say, well, Minnesota play like crap. Yeah, well, that's fine. Buffalo still beat them. Um, I'm taking Green Bay on this game. I just, I don't think the Buffalo can go up there and win that game. I'm sorry. I don't think Green Bay is going to turn the ball over like Minnesota did. And while Allen played well and, and, frankly, better than I thought he would, he wasn't great in the game. I mean, we had that game on for a long period of time. He was certainly a very big competitor. He was willing to stick his nose in there. Uh, but I think he's got a long way to go in terms of the passing game. And to be fair, part of that's because he has nobody around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the Bills, they're going to play hard. They're going to play with a lot of confidence. And that's all you can ask for with the Bills. Uh, but I think the Packers are going to win this game. I, I just think Green Bay is too talented, and Rodgers is just going to take over that game, I would imagine, even as hurt as he is. So uh, we can move on from that, but give me Green Bay. Another game where the line might move, and it certainly, certainly has a chance to here, is Detroit, as I say, this is up 23-10 to 10 against New England. New England just looks awful mm-hmm. in this game. There's really no other way to put it. But Detroit's look good. Uh, for the first time this year, and they go to the on the road to play Dallas this upcoming week. Dallas a three and a half point favorite in the game. Uh, I'll kick off here. I, I'm taking the Lions to win this game. I, listen, Dallas is hideous. I don't know if anybody listening to this got a chance to watch them play Seattle on Sunday. They can't move the ball. They cannot do anything. Dak Prescott looks like he's totally lost. You got Zeke Elliott out there, who it's basically him and nobody else. When you look at the box score of the game, it pretty much matches up with what you saw. Elliott went for 127 yards Mm -hmm. on the ground. He had 7.9 yards to carry. But Prescott's out here going 19-34 for a buck 68 with a touchdown and two picks. I mean, you're you're not going to win too many games when your quarterback goes for a buck 68 and two intercepts and gets sacked five times, Mm -hmm. by the way. I'm going to take the Lions because I just think the Lions are a better team. But I have a lot of issues with Patricia. I don't know that I think he's a good head coach. In fact, I think he's got a lot to prove, although give him credit against New England thus far. He's done a nice job. I will take the Lions. Obviously, of course, I'm then taking them to cover. They're the underdog. Um, I think the Lions are more talented. I think the Lions are a better football team. And I I just, to me, Dallas, man, I don't care home or away. That team should not be favored against many people. The defense is okay, but the offense – Woof. That puts that, that is going to put that defense in a lot of tough spots. It is going to be a long season for Cowboys fans. And we predicted this before the year, and it's coming true as we watch this week by week. In Seattle today, the offense was a mess. How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. 
Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. Dak Prescott is exactly who we thought he was, an average quarterback who's below average when he has no weapons, which is his current state. Zeke Elliott's going to do what he can, but that offense cannot flow through him. This day and age, it's not a running back's game. You need more weapons on offense than just him. And on defense, you know, with Sean Lee looks like he might be hurt again, which seems to be a constant problem, unfortunately, for him and his career. But that defense, it's, it's good, but it's, it doesn't have enough to sustain what that offense needs from it to win games. And it's, it's going to be a long season. I'm not terribly sold on the Lions being a good team this year. I know they're taking apart the, the Patriots right now. And again, that's a game we were wrong about. So but, far. So far. But if you'll, even, a, even a team like Seattle, who's not good, they're going to miss the playoffs. And we, we've said it time and time again, they're going to be lucky if they win five, six, seven games this year. They look really good against the Cowboys. And that's what you're going to see when average to below average teams play a bad team like Dallas. They're going to look better than they are. And I think that if Seattle, who is not as good as Detroit, can look good against uh, Dallas, there's no way that I can't pick Detroit to beat them. Unless something significant, uh, significant goes wrong, D- uh, Detroit's going to win this game. I don't care if it's in Dallas. Give me Detroit. Yeah, yeah. I, obviously, I agree. And now we go to the AFC here for another 1 o'clock kick on the East Coast. Uh, the Jets are at Jacksonville. Jacksonville home for the third straight week. Uh, coming off of what was an abysmal 9-6 loss to the Titans. The Jets, of course, we talked about a little bit at the top. They played on Thursday night in Cleveland uh, and led 14-0. It looked as though they were running away with the game. And then Mayfield comes in, and the game completely switches. Mm-hmm. And the Jets end up losing. So they dropped their second game in a row. Now 1-2 and two going to Jacksonville. Uh, Jacksonville, a nine-point favorite in this game uh, at home. Your thoughts on this AFC matchup? You know, the Jaguars. Just give me the Jaguars in this one. Blake Bortles, I will say this. Blake Bortles was exactly who we thought he was this week. He turns in an abysmal game. He was completely average to below average. And it was he bortled. He just bortled all, all over himself. And that's exactly what a lot of us expected, even though he put together a good game against the Patriots, who we are now seeing for three straight weeks, very, very weak on defense. So I put more stock in the Patriots being weak on defense than I do with Blake Bortles being elite. That being said, I think he's going to have another average-ish day against a a reasonably good Jets defense. But the problem with with me picking New York is they ran out of gas against Cleveland. Okay, Their pass rush is the reason that Tyrod Taylor got knocked out of that game. They concussed him because they were getting to him and they they were hitting him hard. And Tyrod leaves because the Jets' defense was able to get that pass rush. As soon as Baker came in, A, they didn't know what they were doing because they had a game plan for him. And B, they were just out of gas. And you look at the last couple drives of that game, they were just done. They were cooked. So to me, it comes down to how how well finessed is that team? Are they going to be able to come in and contend against that defense in Jacksonville who on the flip side is going against Sam Darnold, who looked very bad in the last couple of drives of that game. Like He maybe could have brought them back against Cleveland, but my God, Darnold looked bad against that Cleveland defense, which is better than a lot of people want to give credit to. But that concerns me a little bit. We want to talk about teams like the Bengals regressing to the mean. I think after a hot start with Darnold, we're kind of, he's a rookie, okay? <laughs> he's, he's in his early 20s. He's not Joe Namath yet. Let's just call him down. Give me the Jaguars in this one. Yeah, look, I like Darnold, and I think he's going to be a player. But this is a tough spot. He walks into Jacksonville. Jacksonville is 
a very good defensive team, as we've talked about a few times here. And conversely, the Jets just don't have a lot of weapons in this team. I don't see, I don't see how the Jets win the game, barring another, you know, where Bortles just cannot move the ball for a foot, and it turns into a game like I want to say it was 9-6. Bortles, as we mentioned earlier, 155 yards on 4.6 yards in attempt. I mean, that's just terrible. You're just not going to win football games playing like that. I don't care if Fournette's hurt, he's not hurt. It doesn't matter. That is an atrocity. Look, I think Jacksonville wins the game. There's no way in hell I'm betting them to cover nine points. They may not score nine points. I mean, the, the Jets can play defense. Yeah. The Jets do have a good defense. Now, look, do I think they'll score nine? Yeah, I think they'll probably win like 16-10 or something. But I don't, I'm not picking them to cover nine points. There's no way. I don't trust the quarterback. And that, again, goes back to everything we keep talking about with these teams. The AFC, you look at the AFC, and there are like three teams. that I don't, If somebody wants to tweet us or send us an email, let me know who else you want to throw in that mix. We're only three weeks through. There's a long way to go. But right now, Kansas City, Jacksonville, New England, whatever whatever order you want to put it in, those three, and quite honestly, Kansas City and Jacksonville right now look like the two best teams. Now, oh, yeah. Doesn't, again, in October or November, it could look wildly different, and it probably will. But that's where we stand now. So, your Buccaneers have not played. They play Monday night. Uh, but there is a line for their game. They play at Chicago week four. The Bears are coming off one of the most uninspiring wins I've ever seen, 16-14 over the Cardinals. Uh, I will let you get to your bucks here in a second. The Bears are favored by a point and a half in this game. But I will say this. Trubisky, at what point here do we start saying, eh, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the Bears missed on him. He went 24-35 for 220 and a pick. Uh, he was sacked three times. We watch a game. He just looks bad. There, are, I mean, there are times he just misses guys, There's, and he has no awareness. He gets sacked for huge losses at times. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna come out with it. I think they made a mistake passing on Watson. I think they made a gigantic mistake passing a mistake passing on Mahomes. I don't think either one of those things are hot takes. Uh, I think ultimately here, Trubisky is going to be a very average NFL quarterback at best. I just don't think he's got the tools to be that good. And I think he's going to hold back a team that has a very good defense and a team that has weapons and can run the ball and has a coach that wants to be creative. And the reason I feel all that stuff more than anything else is when you watch the games, and I know Matt Nagy, he coached in Kansas City. He ran that offense with Andy Reid kind of lording over him. But they were so creative and they took shots. This offense is terrified to come out of its shell. And to me, that says, I don't trust the quarterback. So give me your bucks in this game. I don't care. The only way I change my pick is if Winston starts this game. Because Winston's <laughs> liable to throw four freaking picks oh, and, and fumble. But if, if Fitzpatrick is playing, I don't care. Win or lose for the bucks this week. Give me the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the road. Yeah, I didn't think we were going to be living in this world where the Buccaneers are this force to be reckoned with. Now, the Bears and the Steelers are two entirely different teams. I don't care how downtrodden the Steelers are. I would still at this point put them above the Bears just because it's it's not it, it's close, but Ben Roethlisberger versus Mitchell Trubisky is ultimately what that comes down it's to. It's not close. And it's not even, yeah. So th- there was a play early in the game for the Bears against the Cardinals where Mitchell Trubisky was scrambling out of the pocket. The ball was in his left hand, and I forget who it was from Arizona, slapped his right hand, and he let go of the ball with his left hand. He let go of the ball. It wasn't even like it got hit. He panicked, and he let go of the football and then ran a, like uh, half a yard and then realized he didn't have the football. It was stunning to me. I keep hoping he's going to work himself his way through these things, 
But when we look at the progression of Patrick Mahomes, and when we look at the progression of guys that were drafted this year, like Baker, like Josh Rosen on the two drives that we saw him today, it is night and day. And that is unfortunate because Matt Nagy, like I said, great head coach or great, uh, great, great, great offensive mind who could be a good head coach. He's in a good head coach position. But he is being hamstrung by Mitchell Trubisky. And that's – hopefully he works through it. Why? I mean, I'm going to pick the Bucs because I picked against them once and they, they railroaded the Saints and I'm never going to forgive myself for it. But one thing that I think really helps the, the Buccaneers here is defensively, this is a game they can really kind of get their footing. Like, it's not a great secondary. Chris Conti is still, still a big problem. They're going to, I think, regret passing on Derwin James when he was there and he was going to be a guy who they could pair with Justin Evans in that secondary. But Vita Vea, there's a good chance Vita Vea plays against the Bears, which is going to give, enough, give him another guy up front. I'm really excited about seeing what this Buccaneers defense can do as it slowly starts to gain confidence over the course of this season. And I'm also excited to see what does this offense look like when it goes up against a defense that actually looks pretty good. I want to see Fitzpatrick against Khalil Mack. I want to see O.J. Howard against some of these guys on the Bears. It's, I want to see how this all works. I, I, need to take, I need to see more out of the Buccaneers than what I've seen to really believe it. Mostly just because it's so unbelievable that this is happening. But if they turn in a good game against the Steelers, which I think is entirely possible, I, I think that they can beat the Bears. And my only problem with taking them is it's the Case Keenum factor. Last year, we were waiting for the other shoe to drop the case game. We're like, there's no way he's going to win. There's no way he's going to keep this going. There's just, it's just not possible. And he kept it going. If this all happens, if the Buccaneers win on Monday against the Steelers and then they go to Chicago and beat the Bears, they're 4-0. And that is just so polar opposite from where we thought they were going to be when Winston's getting suspended and we're unsure if Dirk Cutter's even going to have the job because they want to hire John Gruden, which, thank God, that didn't happen. But this is just so polar opposite. It, it is almost starting to enter that realm where it's so unbelievable that it's just it's it's special and it has to keep going. So give give me the bucks, both because I'm just absolutely drunk on power at this point with them, and also because Mitchell Trubisky is basically one of the worst things I've ever seen get under center in the NFL. I'm going to roll through the next couple of these quickly, only because we've hit an hour and we still have like seven games to go, and I don't think either one of the I don't think these next two games are anything that's exciting anybody. Uh, Actually, we'll get to one more quick before I do that. The Eagles are at the Titans. The Eagles are favored by three points. Carson Wentz is now in the center. Marcus Mariota is back. He threw for 100 yards against Jacksonville, somehow still won the game. I am willing to say that Marcus Mariota is not good. Uh, I don't care how many times draft Knicks tell me that he is. Uh, I have watched him with my own eyes, and he's not that good of a football player. Okay, At some point here, you got to make a play. And I know the Titans aren't supremely gifted on the outside, but at some point, my God, do something. Uh, I am going to take the Eagles in this game. I do not care that the Titans are at home. I do not care that the Eagles haven't played particularly well. Uh, the Titans have won two of the ugliest football games I've ever witnessed over the last two weeks. And I am taking Philadelphia with Wentz now having a week under his belt to play better. And I think that Philadelphia goes in and gets what's well, going to be an ugly win, but I think they get the win. Give me the Eagles in this one. Wentz wasn't overly impressive against the Colts, but I think this is another easing him in type of game. The, the Titans' defense isn't anything particularly special. So give, give me the Eagles in this one. Yeah, and I, and I actually like Titans' defense, but I'm, I'm with you. They're not special enough uh, to, to make up for what is just a rancid offensive attack. Uh, now, this, these are the two games I kind of want to get through quickly. Seattle at Arizona. <laughs> oh, 
I'm sorry. Look, Seattle's a three-point favorite in this game. I'm going to take Seattle on the road only because I just don't know what's going on with the quarterback situation with Arizona. Is Rosen starting? Are they going back to Bradford? I'm assuming it's Rosen, but I didn't see enough out of him to know what I really think. Uh, the Cardinals are terrible. The Cardinals are a terrible football team. They might be worse than Buffalo. In fact, at this point, Frank, I think I would make them worse than Buffalo. Uh, I don't think Seattle's any good, but man, alive. Like, I, I just, I, have, I can't pick Arizona. I really can't. So give, give me Seattle. Uh, yeah, sure, what the heck. They'll cover the three points. Give me Seattle. Arizona looks awful. I'm happy for Josh Rosen. I think it was a ballsy move for Steve Wilkes to put him in when he did. So props to him for that. I think it was a win-win situation. He got live game experience in a situation in which he could have looked bad and it wouldn't have hurt him. But give me Seattle. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, another game that would have actually been really interesting to talk about, but I think we can just kind of get through it uh, with all due respect to the two fan bases. The 49ers are at the Chargers. The Chargers favored by 9.5 points. Look, we can spend a quick second here on, on L.A. The Niners, unfortunately, we already talked about them pretty extensively. Without Garoppolo, I just don't see them winning this game. I don't know how they go in there and win. Although this would be the game that the Chargers find a way to turn over like eight <laughs> yeah. times almost. But no, I think, they, I think they get the job done. I think they, they win – they get themselves to 2-2. Two and two. The Chargers can score. The Chargers have a good offense, a really good offense at times. They scored on the Rams. The, the problem was they couldn't stop them. And I think when they play good offenses, that's going to be a theme where the Chargers are just going to have a very, very hard time uh, keeping up. With they lost to the Chiefs. They, they scored 28 in the game, but it didn't matter because they gave up 38. They scored 23 against the Rams. They moved the ball throughout the day, but it didn't matter because they gave up 35 points. And look, I don't dislike Anthony Lynn as a head coach, but I have my questions about him. I feel like the Chargers never rise above and play like that really good, crisp game. I never watch a Chargers game and say, man, that was a great plan. You know, they really just knew where to attack. I feel like the Chargers a lot of times are very much a pedestrian game plan type of team. And if, and if they're talented enough to win, then, hey, that's great. We'll win the game. And if the other team gives it to us, then we'll win. But we're not going to go out and beat quality teams. They didn't beat one quality team last year. The best team they beat last year was Peterman and the Bills. That's it. That was the best one they had all year long. That was at home. Uh, and they've lost to the two teams that they've played this year that are good. And they've given up a ton of yardage in the process. So give me the Chargers. And I'll, I'll even pick up the cover, the 9.5. So I think that much better than the Garoppolo list 49ers. Yeah, give me the, give me the Chargers in this one. That's I mean, well said. You, all my points you, you checked off. So give me, give me the Chargers in this one. Okay. Let's spend a little more time on the Browns at the Raiders. Never thought I'd say that in a thousand <laughs> years, but I think it deserves a little bit of time. I will cede the floor to you because, to your credit, you have been picking the Browns in this game since it was before it was even on the schedule. Uh, I would have picked the Raiders till the end of time with Tara Taylor in the game. Now that Mayfield's in the game, I am picking Cleveland. But I am nothing more than a bandwagoner to your showcase pick here for four weeks. Uh, you were picking him even when Taylor was starting. The Raiders are 0-3. And the Browns, while they're 1-1-1, could easily be 3-0 and if, yeah. if Mayfield had started. So, again, I see the floor to you. Browns at Oakland. The game is a pick I did The Browns. I mean, I've been picking this one since I saw it on the schedule. Because uh, the Raiders... Like, I picked them to win against Miami because I thought, law of averages, this is going to work itself out with Rudy. I don't think it is. Like, we were talking about this before the podcast, but you were saying, you know, they're going to be lucky if they win four or five games. They might be lucky if they win two. 
Like the joke was, oh, hey, when are the Browns going to win their first game? When are the Browns going to finally unlock the Bud Light refrigerator and all that? Now I think it's, when are the Raiders going to win their first game? Like, honestly, God, like there's a Thursday night game against San Francisco, which now I thought Jimmy Grapple became very winnable. But then again, what have we seen out of the Raiders in those first three weeks that really fills you with any kind of confidence to say, yeah, they're going to go in there, they're going to win? Nothing. If anything, I'm more thinking now, that's the game C.J. Beckard maybe, you know, looks all right. <laughs> because they play well over the first three quarters. I think the stat was, I saw this somewhere, they haven't, they didn't, they haven't trailed over the first three quarters of the, game, of the game all season long, even against the Rams. It's the fourth quarter collapse. Okay, it happened big time against the Rams. It happened last week against Denver. Okay, down to like the last two minutes, they ended up losing that. And it happened again here against the Dolphins in week three. I think it's going to happen against the Browns. I think the difference here is that the Browns are going to get a hot start and they're going to control the game. And I think it's going to be the Baker effect. I, I really like it. Well, the Raiders, as Gruden keeps pointing out post game, they can't get a pass rush, and they're going to have to fix that. I wonder how and they. Geez, you know, that. I don't know. You know, fifty two over in Chicago, he's pretty good. I ought to give him a call. A world class uh, pass rusher. Uh, and, <laughs> and you know, if they don't pressure Mayfield, from what I saw in the last game, they're going to have a problem because yeah. Cleveland has receivers. Obviously, Landry leading the way. Callaway is a enigmatic guy, but he's fast as hell. And if he gets free, forget about it. They got running backs too. Uh, they do. Hyde's a heck of a player, and Duke Johnson and, and, and Chubb Chub. as well. Look, the, the Browns' biggest weaknesses are line stinks, but the Raiders can't rush the quarterback. <laughs> so, like to me, this game is a major problem for Oakland. I'm going to pick the, the Browns, and I will tell you right now. I know you agree with me on this. We talk about it all the time. If the Raiders lose this game, the the bloom is so far off the rose of Gruden, it's not even fun. Like, yeah, because you know, I think a lot of Raiders fans. I wrote a piece on fan sided. And it, I went so far off the rails. It was about <laughs> Gruden and how it's been a nightmare for the Raiders. And it somehow ended up comparing Gruden and the Raiders to your, your first love that gets away. And it, it, It's a long story. Short, the long story short, though, is a lot of Raiders fans responded to that. And some said, hey, you know, yeah, he has been a nightmare. And some have said, well, listen, it's only three weeks. You know, they played the Rams. They played two road games. This is a home game against Cleveland. And while Cleveland is not the Cleveland of a couple of years ago or even last year, it's still Cleveland. It's still that stigma. If they lose to the Browns, holy hell, is that going to be yeah. a circus out in Oakland. Out in the NFC, it's a late game, even though it's in New York. The Saints at the Giants. The Saints favored by a field goal in this game. The Giants saved their season in Houston. They won Looking good, Eli Manning was excellent in the game. Barkley was better. He had one big run, didn't do a lot other than that, but he still uh, was able to get the change moving. The Giants are a three-point underdog at home. The Saints finally looked good, at least offensively anyway. Their defense is still looked terrible. Uh, but they, they did get the win. They do move to 2-1. Uh, the Saints minus three at the Meadowlands. Uh, Hill, your thoughts on the matter? The Saints have woefully unimpressed me the first three weeks of the season. I thought that this defense was going to be great. I thought offensively they were going to be fantastic. And Drew Brees, five touchdowns against the Falcons. I don't want to take that away from him. But this was a t this is a team that we thought was going to be the best team in the NFC. This was going to be the Super Bowl favorite. This was a team that was going to be better than the Vikings. That was going to be better than the Rams. And right now, I think they lose, honestly, to both of those teams if they meet in the playoffs. So they need to beat the Giants. And if they don't find a way to beat the Giants... I'm deeply concerned. I'm a little bit more back on board because last year, no team adjusted week to week better than the Saints. And 
credit to them. They adjusted off of an almost loss to the Browns to going on the road and winning a divisional game. So that's big. That's huge. They did it by the skin of their teeth. It was on the you know the, the nail bite in the end. If they have another close game like this against the Giants, or if they don't start shutting teams down, I'm out on the Saints. I'm sorry. This is not a team that I, that has convinced me at all over the first three weeks of the season that they can beat the Rams. I'm sorry. I can't. I'm taking them to win this game, but they need to convince me a lot more than they have. Yeah, I'll be brief. I'm taking the Saints. I don't trust the Giants. They, they played horrifically the first couple of weeks offensively. They couldn't do anything. Then they show up. They beat the Texans. I don't trust them. I don't trust Manning. Uh, they can't run the ball at all. Barkley was, was like I said, better, uh, but still not good in week three. I, I just don't believe in the Giants' offense at all, even with all those weapons. And the Saints, I think, will hang 35 points on them because that's what the Saints do when they're right. So give me the Saints. We move to the Sunday night game. Baltimore is at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, of course, is week four. We're recording this on a Sunday night, so Pittsburgh hasn't played yet. They're a three-point favorite at home against Baltimore. I'll kick this one off briefly uh, and then see to you. The Steelers have been bad. The Ravens always play them tough, but I'm taking Pittsburgh in this game for one reason. They're at home. If the game is at Baltimore, I take Baltimore. I think those two teams just played just so hard. That, to me, is the difference. Vegas obviously agrees, just giving them the plus three or the minus three and nothing else. Uh, look, ultimately, the other side is just I just don't trust Baltimore's offense. Baltimore's offense is just nothing special. Uh, and while I, I fully admit I might change this pick if Pittsburgh goes out and lays another egg against Tampa, and I'm picking Tampa, so it's very much in play, but I will take Pittsburgh. I just think at some juncture at home, they're a different team. And I don't trust Baltimore, especially offensively. Yeah, give me, give me the Steelers in this one. Even if they lose to Tampa on Monday, they're going to win this game. Okay, they they have to look so bad against Tampa for me to say that Baltimore is going to beat them. They don't start winless, go into a game against Baltimore and lose that. Because if they do, I mean that's that's when we start asking questions about does Tomlin finish the year? I mean he will because it's Pittsburgh and they're loyal to these guys. But the, the you talk about the bloom falling off the rose for for Gruden and the Raiders, it's it's all over because they are at that point you have to accept the fact that they're not going to make the playoffs. They're they they'd be in last place games behind the Browns at this point. So it is going to be such a harsh divorce if that happens. And I honestly think it could. I think I don't think they're going to beat Tampa on Monday. They're gonna they're gonna be up against it going into Baltimore. But that, to me, convinces me even more that they'll go out and get a desperation win. Okay, If they are winless going against Baltimore, desperation win. Otherwise, and if they lose to Baltimore and they're winless to start the year, wow. I, don't, I can't think of a team that has fallen off the radar more sharply than that. That's, that's rough. Yeah, uh, I would agree. If they, if they don't get a win by the end of that game, yeah. And that's not a knock for me on Baltimore. It's just more of a Pittsburgh shot on a game. At some point, they got to get going. Before we get to the Monday night game, I want to quickly uh, throw out a shout-out to our sponsors, Fanatics. Uh, they do a great job. If you're a fan, you really need to check out Fanatics and check out all the gear that they provide, uh, whether it's a hat or it's a jersey or it's socks or it's, it's something for your desk or something for your dog. I mean, anything that anything you can think of as a fan that you want, they have. Go to uh, fansided.fanatics.com and put in the code FANSIDE to get 20% off on the shipping. Uh, and, and they always have great deals going on, so you can always get something I'm sure usually even above that. 
But Fanatics, again, a great sponsor. And really, really, they provide great style. It's not just being said uh, because they're they're a partner here at Fanside. It really is just the truth. Um, and also, please check out our uh, our podcast, Easy for Me to Say, on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to it. Give us a like. Give us a rating. Uh, and, and always feel free to contact the Hill and I. We're always on Twitter. We're always around. You can email us. Uh, first out last, the fan side. We're always happy to, to hear from fans and respond. Um, and if you have a question, we're happy to answer it on the podcast. Um, that being said, uh, the Monday night game, and I should also point out, by the way, Carolina and Washington, the first two teams to have a bye, have a bye next week. Ah, yes. Uh, so don't think we forgot about you guys. Uh, the Monday night game is Kansas City at Denver. Uh, old AFL rivalry. Kansas City is favored in this game on the road by four and a half points. Uh, getting a lot of respect. Denver, not so much. Denver is 2-1. They lost to Baltimore 27-14. Case Keenum did not look good. Uh, Lindsey, who's been a breakout running back, Phil Lindsey for the Broncos. He was ejected in the first half of the game for throwing a punch. Uh, so Denver trying to lick their wounds, so to speak, as they come back to get an extra day off, obviously, as does Kansas City, before the two teams face each other. Uh, Hill, your thoughts. Chiefs, four-and-a-half-point favorite over Denver at mile high. At some point, Patrick Mahomes is going to have a bad game, and at some point he's going to look mortal, which he hasn't looked so far this season. Uh, it's not going to be against Denver. It's not going to be this game. It's It could be, but if Denver's defense was better than it is, then I would maybe be saying this is going to be a problem. This We've seen him against a divisional team already against Los Angeles the first week who, in my opinion, is a better defense than, than Denver is. They didn't have Joey Bosa, so that was a little bit of a problem. To me, this at this point, it's so hard to pick against Patrick Mahomes. I have to see him make mistakes. I have to see him screw up before I can say, all right, maybe I'm going to be on this guy. If anything, if anything, it's the defense for Kansas City that scares me, but then it's Case Keenum. So, like, what really? That, that doesn't strike me. Of course, you'll say, hey, you know, Case Keenum is going to look like, you know, John Elway against Oh, he's going But at the end of the day, Patrick Mahomes, for the first three games of the season, until we're proven otherwise, is going to be the difference maker. Maybe we're going to get a thing where it's closer than we think, and he's going to lead a comeback drive. We haven't really seen that out of him yet. He's really won games going back to last year when he started his one start. He's won games going away. So he hasn't really been tested. I don't think it's going to be against Denver this week. Give me a Kansas City. Yeah, listen, I'm going to take the Chiefs until they lose. Uh, four and a half point favorites. I think they, they cover. They've covered all three lines so far this year. I think they do it again. But the problem I have with Denver is Denver is the worst of the four offenses they faced this year. And the Chiefs have been atrocious defensively. By, by any measure, they have stunk the high heaven. The problem is with Denver is I don't know that Denver can take advantage of it to the point that they're going to have to. Miller's fantastic. He, and this is sacrilege as a chief fan to say, but he reminds me a lot of Derek Thomas. He is just a phenomenal guy. We can get four or five sacks in any game at any time. I don't care what tackle he's going against. The problem is without to leave, if the Chiefs go away from Harris, who's guarding all these guys? They've never been able to guard Kelsey. Kelsey has killed the Broncos his entire career, even when they had that great defense that won Super Bowl a few years ago. Uh, Hill's always been a problem for them. Watkins is, is, a, is a mismatch against anybody in that secondary because he's so big. Uh, I, I just don't see Denver slowing them down, to be very honest. I think Kansas City gets into the 30s. I don't think Denver does. And look, if Kansas City wins this game, now it's early in the year. No matter, let's, let's even assume you know the Chargers and the Raiders win. The Chiefs are two games up on Denver, two games up on the Chargers, and, and three games up on Oakland. And 
the Chiefs will have already won games against the Chargers and Broncos on the road. So the Chiefs would be at a huge – this game is monumental in the AFC West. If, if Kansas City wins, they have a major advantage heading out of the first quarter of the season. Mm-hmm. Kansas City loses, then Denver pulls even. They even have the tiebreaker on them while, the, while they've only played the one game. So a lot of a lot of – sway here at stake in the ACOs. But I'll take Kansas City because, frankly, Kansas City looks like a much better football team, even with this defense that has been nothing but Swiss cheese. I don't expect Eric Berry back until he ever practices. He hasn't practiced once in 39 days. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll take the Chiefs. Right now, it's hard to bet against them. They look like they can score 30 points on anybody with ease, and I don't think Denver's hitting 30 as bad as the Chiefs are defensively. So – I'll take Kansas City. Hill, any final thoughts on the week that was in the NFL? As Detroit beats New England, game goes final. New England, one and two, two games behind Miami. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> this is not something that I saw coming. I thought Patricia was going to get whacked so because usually that's what Belichick does. So, uh, you know, thank God that the Patriots threw out those trade rumors about Rob Gronkowski because apparently, uh, according to our NFL pregame show, that's why the Lions won. But, uh, no, to me, my big takeaway moving forward is the normalization of these opinions that we have of these teams. Like the Patriots. People are going to have their hot takes tomorrow. You're going to get on first take and you're Skip Bayless screaming and foaming at the mouth about how the Patriots or Empire is done. Get back to me in February because they're going to be there in the Super Bowl. So the normalization of opinions and the, the evolution of some of these storylines like Darnold with Bayton with Mayfield and the, the Bucks and with the Chiefs. That's, that's my big takeaway here because there's a lot of exciting storylines. It's not like what we thought it was going to be where it's going to be the Patriots and everybody else. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of turnover in the AFC. There's a lot of open slots for teams to run through. I'm, I'm interested in seeing where this goes. My biggest takeaway is that I think the AFC, and I said this before the season began. I'm sure I said it on this podcast. I know I wrote it as well. I think this might be the first year where we don't see the patch of the Steelers in the AFC title game. And it's been a long time since New England hasn't been there. Something you probably do know. Progressive can not only offer you a great price when you bundle home and auto, they offer you round-the-clock protection. Something you probably don't know? The average garage door is made up of 1.3-millimeter aluminum panels. Something you probably do know? Your neighbor likes to tinker with his dirt bike. Something you probably don't know? A runaway dirt bike can take out your garage door and a good portion of your car bumper. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive and get more than a great price. Get round-the-clock protection. Something you know for the things you don't know. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Pittsburgh's been there multiple times, obviously, many times since Ben Roethlisberger's been in the league. I don't think Pittsburgh's going because I, I think their defense stinks and they have major problems with Bell now. They're reportedly looking to trade him, and Brown's not showing up for work half the time. And I just look at this New England team, and look, I get it. Nobody respects him more than me, believe me. I think New England, at the end of the day, is going to be there in January, very likely going to have a bye. Like they're, they're, they're going to be a bear. They're going to be standing there waiting to take on all comers. But when I look at New England, they're a slow team. They cannot run, especially offensively. Mm-hmm. And offensively, look, I get they, saw, they brought in Josh Gordon via trade. It, unless he's great for them, and I don't think he's going to be, who the hell are they stretching the field with? Chris Hogan? <laughs> I mean, honestly, Philip Dorsett, it doesn't scare you. No. There's no way. And I just, I really firmly believe we are to a point here where New England has for years and years and years. Now, last year was the exception because they did 
have a very good roster, but they have been stretching the boundaries of how much they're going to get out of Brady and how much they're going to get out of Belichick with missing draft picks and missing on free agents. And you look at the box score from this game, they went 14-26, Brady did, 14-26 for a buck 33 with a touchdown and pick. I mean, that's Bortles. And this is the greatest quarterback arguably of all time. That's Bortles-esque numbers. Look, I think New England figures it out. I think they win the division. I think they probably win 11, 12 games. But when it comes time in the playoffs, I don't think that offense is doing a whole hell of a lot against Jacksonville. I don't think that offense is scoring the 45 that's going to have to score to beat Kansas City because they're not stopping the Chiefs. I don't know that they're going to get to that final weekend when the AFC title's on the line. And that, that is my takeaway. The AFC's wide open. Of course, things can change and certainly will to some degree, but that's where we stand now. So for Josh Hill, I am Matt Verdam. Thank you so much for listening once again to Stack in the Box. And of course, we will be back next week, next Sunday to break down everything. And in between, we're going to have a special podcast. We are going to talk to an author who wrote about the USFL. And it's going to be, you know, we, we really are looking forward to it. Jeff Perlman, who has written a lot of great books over his career. I own one, I own a few of his books. But one of my favorite sports books, Sweetness, about Walter Payton. Uh, Jeff wrote that. He did a fantastic job. And he's going to join us on the podcast. We're going to talk just about that. The USFL book um, that you want to hear about. It is something that is really intriguing. It was a league that only lasted for a couple of years. But boy, did it leave a lasting legacy. Uh, and Jeff's going to come on and talk to Josh and I about that. So please look out for that. It's going to be a midweek edition of Stack in the Box, something we don't always do. So for Hill, I am Verderam. Thank you so much for listening. And enjoy Monday Night Football. And then enjoy the rest of week four, or all of week four. And we'll catch up with you next Sunday. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.